Hi everybody, Pauline Clark here from Autism Wired Different and welcome back to my podcast where I give you some tips and tricks that I have learned over the last 18 years while taking care of my autistic family. Hi everybody, um, I'm back today and I just want to have a chat to you about stimming. I thought it was a topic that maybe we should discuss. So stimming, what is it? Well, it's short for self-stimulatory behaviour. That's basically what stimming means. And it's a repetitive series of actions, which generally autistic people, they may do when they are excited or anxious or stimulated. And I've definitely experienced it here with my kids in loads and loads of different variations and loads of ways. But one thing to note is that actually everybody engages in some form of stimming. And when you look into it, there's loads of degrees of it that we do ourselves. So you could crack your knuckles, you might tap your feet or hum or whistle. Um, some people twist their hair. So we all have these tendencies to do what we would say is, oh, it's just a bad habit. But sometimes it's stimming because it might be when you're watching a program, if you're scared, you might see somebody just, you know, cracking the knuckles or, you know, or tapping their feet along to something. Technically, that's actually stimming. So. When it comes to autistic kids, it just tends to be more pronounced and quite abstract what they do sometimes. Now, generally speaking, there's a, like a list of types of stimming that kids do. I'm gonna be honest with you, I've seen very different ones in my own family, but you've got rocking. So you'll see kids sitting in the chairs rocking back and forth. Although in fairness, most mothers who've just had a baby sometimes do it like a phantom rock, almost like they're putting the child to sleep because it comes so naturally to us. But rocking, we have flapping hands or flicking or snapping of the fingers. And that one I find is more noticeable in the kids who might have a crossover into dyspraxia and hypermobility. So they have this tendency to crack their knuckles, the very flexible joints. Bouncing, jumping or twirling. But we know it's good to do that too. So the trampoline, we, we get the kids out in the trampoline, they get it out of their system. So it's really good that they can do that. Although you will, you know, unfortunately the kids who will bounce around your house off walls and even jump on furniture. Pulling of hair. Now that one again can be quite extreme. And this is the thing about when it comes to stimming with autistic people is there's such a range of types of stimming, but they can be very extreme. They're very rarely subtle. Um, not all the time, but a lot of the time they seem to be quite extreme. They can repeat words or phrases. We would find here a lot of what's called echolalia. So if anyone hasn't heard of echolalia, that is where a child mimics a sound they've heard on TV. Um, in our own case, it was, I think, a line from Bob the Builder that was repeated over and over and over again. Um, or there was another, I can't quite remember the other program, but generally that's what echolalia is. It's mimicking something they've heard out in in the world it could be on TV, could be from a program, or could be from an advert a lot of the time as well. Uh, rubbing or scratching of the skin, um, and repeat, repetitive blinking. I've seen that one definitely in our house. Um, staring at lights or rotating objects like ceiling fans, um, and just watching them for hours, just going round and round and round. Um, there's licking objects or rubbing objects or stroking particular types of objects which can be from a textural point of view where they need a sensory sort of input from the feeling of items whether that's something rough rather than something gentle and that's down to touch and I'll go into that one as well and then there's sniffing of people and objects which can be quite you know awkward if you're out in public 
and rearranging objects so rearranging objects is you know that's pretty normal it's sorting stuff out I've walked into supermarkets with my kids where they've actually gone and organized the shelves on supermarkets when we were allowed to touch stuff and take children into stores pre-covid but they actually have gone in and rearranged shelves and the staff are delighted with them um but sometimes it's the reason behind the stimming needs to be looked at and I certainly think for anyone who's sort of starting out again on this journey, we when when it was first said to me, um, does your child stim? I hadn't a clue what they were talking about. Genuinely had no idea what stimming was. And I think at the time I didn't even know what autism was. So we're talking, well, we're, we're almost hitting so we're 14 years. He's, he's almost 19 now. He was f- between four and age five when we were, were found out that he was autistic. And what I didn't, I didn't know what stimming was. So I didn't know what I was looking for. And what we realized was the biggest thing that our eldest son did was he would lie down on his tummy, which as a small baby from a very, very small age, he would do this. So he'd lie down flat on the ground, on his tummy, on the cold ground, not really bothered with comfortable blankets or a mat or anything under him. And he would bounce. His whole body would basically bounce up and down and it would be stiff as a poker. So his fingers would be sort of lodged in this open wolverine grip type um state let's call it and they would be tight his neck his butt you could see the muscles in his body tensing up and he would just bounce and bounce and bounce and bounce now when he was younger i didn't realize the what it meant um i had a nephew actually who's a lot older than my son but he actually did that as a child but i never sort of thought anything of it thought oh that's fine that's what my nephew does so I didn't really think there was an issue here and I didn't think he was autistic um my son so but he would do this repetitively this was his stimming this was the thing that obviously got him the sensory needs that that he was craving the whole time and it was fine when he was small and I mean now he's six foot one so it's really really awkward he's a very very big lad and he grew quite quickly as a child he got really tall and he would take up half the floor in some of the rooms in the house doing this stimming. So we kind of got to a state where we sort of felt we had to deal with it. Um, but we knew we couldn't stop it because it was giving him some sense of release that he needed to get. And it regulated him. And it made it sort of okay for him to be part of what else is going on in the house. I'd say he probably shut down sound and everything while he was doing this. So what we did was we started making rules that he could do it in the house there was absolutely no problem anywhere in our house he was allowed to stim but if we went outside the house we would ask him not to stim so if he went to someone else's house and if he felt he needed to do it where we, when we were away he would come and ask so we did have an instance where he said i really need can i bounce and i said absolutely that's fine i think he was nine or ten at the time um and that was fine and we, we let that go but what happened was because we curbed it and we sort of put a routine that it was only in the house he sort of I suppose grew out of it let's say he doesn't do it anymore um he, he kind of grew out of it over time because the more we took him away from the house he was spending time in school he was going to secondary school so he was here less and less so it became that he was stimming less than he wasn't stimming so the ratio and the balance shifted and eventually it ended so he stopped doing the stimming and I think because of his physical size as well um that probably made a huge difference I'm not saying that works for every child and I'm not saying that every child will stop stimming but it certainly worked for him by us putting just limits not stopping but just putting limits and 
sort of a, a peripheral on when and where we felt it was appropriate for him from and it was really not for us we are not embarrassed at all by anything they do we just suck it up and move on but I think it was very much about for him for his social life his social behavior his peers around him the last thing you needed him doing was the swimming lessons with school or a trip away with school um to be lying down in the ground stimming because you know that's not going to help him at all have friends keep friends make friends it'll just give them an excuse to say something about him so we we did um find with him that it did help to get that out of his system and these kids need this sometimes sometimes it's to reduce their anxiety or to calm themselves down and i think that's fantastic that they actually know how to calm themselves down they know by getting this out of their system it does help most you know your average teenager will go and slam a door and scream at you but most of these kids will actually physically do something and once it's not harming themselves you kind of can deal with it it's not as bad it's really just keeping an eye on it and understanding what it is um i think it can express frustration as well in them especially if they're trying to communicate with you and communicate effectively even the most intelligent and high functioning of autism they sometimes can't get their point across um because there's there's this thing where they want to say the right thing all the time and they have to think about what they're going to say before they say it and it, they are afraid that if they say something no, that might be wrong what will I say how will they react and they've played through all this in their head in the middle of a sentence and what happens is people just walk away and go okay you have nothing to say I'll walk away when actually they're playing out the scenario to have the best result be it for them but the best result at the end so it can be a way of reducing their frustration um, and, and I can totally understand that. Or if they're in an unfamiliar environment. So, you know, if you start taking them loads of different places, they don't know where they're going. We, we went for a walk from our house years ago, um, not too far, very local. And the whole walk was, I think I, I think Keem was maybe 11 or 12. Um, but the whole walk was, where are we? Where are we? Where's home? When are we getting home? Why are we not going home? Which direction is home? And it was this unknown just from going for a walk and we realized we have to start you know we had to sort of start implementing systems that would make it easier on the child we were fine we don't mind where we go for a walk and we don't mind if we get in the car and go for a spin but we knew it was uncomfortable for him and even when he was five and six at the very beginning when he was just diagnosed I think we, we'd done a camping trip down the country and the whole way in the car he just sat in the car with a kind of noise the whole way down in the car because he was so uncomfortable where are we going what are we doing and it's very hard to explain to any five or six year old anyway but he realized it was something different and he couldn't understand it so the stimming sort of comes from all this kind of thing um and i think it's really important to make sure it doesn't cause social isolation and it doesn't cause them harm or disrupting you know disrupting school um purely because their peers are there and you want them to learn as effectively um as they can you don't want it to diminish their ability to learn it can cause problems sometimes for other members of the family. And and I, I totally understand it can be very destructive and dangerous. There are some children and they really, really go full on and it can be destructive and dangerous. Um, the types of stimming that we've come across here, and it's been some of them being quite subtle and some of them we have figured out as we have gone along. Um, we have our nine-year-old, so his has changed over time he started with a verbal tick 
when he was maybe three or four. So it was a verbal tick where he would constantly this noise at the table continuously. We were all trying to eat. It drove the boys insane, especially the 16 year old who has sensory. Um, so the SPD and he just got annoyed at the noise and then they'd start getting angry at each other but he had these verbal but the verbal tics changed over time there were different types of verbal tics and this went on this is why we had him initially you know questioned going oh, is there something going on here have we missed something in this you know clever little nine-year-old who seems fine and um, this was like say a few years ago at this stage so he started with the verbal tics and the verbal tics eventually they sort of went, we again asked him, you can do that, but please don't do it at the dinner table. And because we all sit down every day for dinner and during the summer months, they all sit down for lunch, it knocked out two times where he wasn't doing it. And we were able to sort of change that slightly with him. He eventually went into cracking the knuckles. And I mean cracking, constant, continuous, every day, all the time, to the point that I said to my GP, is he going to do harm to himself? Because he is constantly cracking his knuckles. He is still cracking his knuckles to this day. He, it started out cracking the knuckles. He has hypermobility in his hands. So he's the bendiest fingers that you can see. And he's, again, he's quite tall like his brothers and he's lanky and so he has these little wiry hands. So he would crack his feet as well and his ankles, but mainly his fingers. And that was, that was okay, uh, I think were more worried that he was doing some harm but the doctor said no he look he's not going to do himself any harm um and in the last six months maybe a year we now have hand flapping so he would very vigorously flap his hands over and back both his hands so he literally would just stand in front of you or he'd walk into a room and he would start flapping his hands now he is quite a i don't know how to describe it um so there was a song out recently, This Is America, and he, there is this cool dance that goes with it. And he would come into our kitchen and start popping and locking to this thing because he look, likes to feel his bones cracking, really sharp movements in his body. And he started doing this and there, he loves to get it out of his system. Um, so he loves coming in and just suddenly dancing in front of you, kicking his legs up and um, doing movements with a very sharp movements. Um, but the flapping of the hands has now come into play. So we do have, we don't have a verbal tick anymore. We do have cracking of the knuckles all the time. And then we have this hand flapping. But what I've noticed is cracking of the knuckles is continuous. The hand flapping is very much related to a stimulus. So if he needs to get something out, if he's excited about something, um, when he gets really excited, the hands start going. And they just it's just his two hands straight out in front of him and it's just flapping them vigorously back and forth. But again, he's nine. Um, we can deal with that. He tends to do that mostly at home. He doesn't tend to do it anywhere else. I haven't noticed it anywhere else. And I just keep an eye um, on, on what reason behind that he needs to do that. So we have so we have the bouncing on the floor with the older boy and we have the verbal tics which move to the knuckle cracking to the flapping of the hands with the younger boy. And even the 16 year old who has DCD and SPD although he hasn't been diagnosed with autism, he would have had verbal tics over the years. Now, the verbal tics have dissipated completely. Um, and although he wouldn't be classified, you know, as stim, he walks in circles. So he continuously walks around all the time. He can't stand still. And if you're having a conversation with him, you have to just either close your eyes and let him walk or just follow him because he will just walk and walk. He has to keep moving, continuously moving 
his body moving his feet he's up and walking he's out the door he, he just can't stand he finds it very difficult and if you asked him to stand still you would be putting him under severe pressure and we're fine with that we're fully aware with that he's extremely intelligent he is um, doing phenomenal in school he's um, in every competition he goes into you know maths or physics that kind of era sort of computational he's you know excelling he's, he's just doing fantastic so why I would put him under stress to stand still uh, you know I just couldn't be bothered I don't see the benefit of it to him and you know if he needs a standing desk when he gets a job later on in life then that's what he needs to do and the school we, we spoke to the school and we asked them to put him in a chair he's very tall he's over six foot at 16 but we've asked him to have an aisle seat in his classroom where he can stretch his legs move his feet and he's near the door that if he needs to get out um, because he would get resource that he can get a break just to move like a movement break so that's kind of worked for him so again he's not autistic but he definitely has a, a tell or a stim um, and then sort of the last one that I find uh, which is really really strange is my daughter who was recently diagnosed her stims are so subtle they're really bizarre um, you wouldn't think they were stim and recently I had um, the conversation, we, we managed to get a conversation with a psychologist. The HSE have contacted us, they've given us some time to speak to a psychologist, to look at her case, to look at what we can do, how we go forward, because she was with CAMS as well, and um, the child psychology section. And because there's a tendency for OCD, and we had a whole discussion around this for about two hours last week. Uh, hence, I, I'm a little bit late getting these podcasts up. But her stimming when I discussed it with a psychologist how she behaves he said that's a form of stimming that she is doing so if you imagine that you could be sitting in your sitting room in the evening at night or sitting at a dining table and you're just having a conversation so generally me and her dad were sitting having a conversation and she doesn't walk into the room and say can I talk to you about something or wait till I tell you this it's it's a it's a cool sharp shock like it's a slap to the back of the head it's literally she jumps into the room very loud the conversation that she's about to have is not a conversation it is a pre-empted and pre-prepared um speech of whatever it is so it could be about a program that's coming out a new film a new book a friend something she's just discovered generally it's about uh something to do with oh gosh i, I don't even know usually it's to do with apollo or to do with the greek gods or something weird and environmental something that no one else would think of but it's a routine that she will come into the room and she'll say right I've something to tell you this is what I have to tell you these are the facts this is the details I've done the research there's no two-way conversation it's you must agree with me and it's it doesn't matter what you're watching it doesn't matter if you're in the middle of a conversation it doesn't matter if you're on the phone um this is her way of getting attention and we discussed that last year we found we were having a celebration at home during lockdown we organized it like a a meal for the family as though we were out in a restaurant and we got the 16 year old made up a um menu so we got him to piece really good art art so he printed up a menu for everybody we'd pre-ordered all the food to be delivered in by um fantastic caterer that we would have had here doing the party we were supposed to have gosh it was to be a holy communion an 18th and a wedding anniversary and another birthday all in the same weekend and we were planning a big party from the year before and everything everything went locked down so we didn't get any of that so we planned a, a meal we had the 18 year old because he just turned 18 although he wouldn't drink he was in charge of the drink so he could pop a bottle of prosecco or champagne and just pour it and that and um 
we had the younger guy make some banners to say you know happy birthday and we put them outside with fairy lights and our daughter was on music that was her job so they all organized the music was the music that me and her dad liked and she was you know we had a whole evening we all dressed up and had a lovely fabulous meal with candles in the middle of the table and then we went outside and we had dancing and just to make something out of nothing really and what kept happening was every time me and her dad would start talking she would blare out of her phone a song that he loved so he's a cure head so she would start playing cure really really loud and start singing to interrupt to get attention and although you kind of go okay that's a teenager it wasn't it was more there was more to it it was like she didn't know how to have a conversation she didn't know how to start a conversation or to get involved in this social situation because it wasn't their normal banter at the table where the kids talk about random stuff and they do this every day it was more of an adult meal conversation and she, she I think she was uncomfortable so when she finds herself in an uncomfortable situation and this is what the psychologist has pointed out this seems to be her stim and we've noticed this at school so at school she she falls a lot because she's dyspraxic and she's slipping off things and falling off things but she laughs it off she's she's a hardy girl and she doesn't she would never cry and it doesn't bother her um but in her class she will tell me about school and she will tell me oh I jumped up and I said and it's something random in the class now the teachers love sometimes <laughs> that she thinks outside the box but I know it's slightly disruptive but this seems to be how she deals with not knowing how to read the room and it's interesting because I wouldn't have called it a stim and I wouldn't have called it a coping mechanism because that seems to be what stimming is and it took a psychologist to say to me there are very subtle stims that that kids do that we just don't notice and sometimes they get good at hiding them and they get good at using them when they need to and dealing with them which is really good um, but I don't want any of my kids to be embarrassed by their stims. I never was. We never were. If whatever they need to do to get it out of their system, if it helps them cope with life, deal with life and have a better future, then that's fine. All we do is we, we slightly monitor them. So this seems to be her stim, That's which I think is really, really interesting. Um, and, and one thing I will say, if anybody has any of the kids that do stim, and I, again, this is just what worked for me, this is not going to work for everybody, is I once I understood the stim, once I understood why, then I could preempt. If I knew that something was about to happen, if I knew there was a birthday coming up, a party, an exam in school, I started being able to preempt what was going to happen. And I started controlling the situation to a point. The kids have to deal with stuff, and this is it. You know, they're going to have to learn that not everything can be set out in stone. I was going to have kids. And it was like, well, mommy might be here tomorrow. She might have the baby tomorrow. We don't know. So you can only do so much preempting. But I learned from issues. So, you know, we go right back to sort of 10 years ago and we had Keen wet in the bed every night for two weeks. He was about eight years old. And it turned out that he was making his Holy Communion and the teachers were taking them down to the church to practice and they had them sitting in rows and they were saying you must behave you're, you don't want to let your mum and dad down you don't want to let anybody down in the church and putting a lot of pressure and he didn't know how to deal with it so by the time the end of that came I just had to go into the school and speak to them saying do you know what he'll be there on the day leave him alone he's not to be just leave him he's fine I wouldn't put the child through that for the sake of it and when it came to his confirmation he was about 12 I just went into the school before it. I said we're not going to have the same situation again 
I won't have him going through the stress. So he will be there. He'll do his drawing for the class, but I don't want him involved. He doesn't need to do readings. He doesn't need to be that involved. And actually, when it comes to him going to the church, the bare minimum. And it worked. And it's preempting the important things. Sometimes things aren't that important. So why would you stress anybody over it? I, I really don't understand why you would bother putting anybody through that stress. And now what I find is as the kids have got older, um, certainly with the older boy, um, I say boy is a man, but <laughs> the older boy, um, I think I can preempt. And I know when we need to walk away and I know when to push him as well. You can't be afraid to push. You can't be afraid of what might happen either because they will eventually be out in the world and someone will push. They'll push their buttons. They'll push them at work. You gotta do better. You gotta achieve better. You gotta be faster. You gotta be quicker. You gotta be here earlier. You know, um, eat your lunch quicker, um, whatever it is. And so, you still have to push them a little bit but I can preempt I know when the stimming's about to come and sometimes that's fine and other times it's like you know what not today and it might be for the reason that their friends are here and you don't want them they may not see this you know th this whole process um, I think it's something we have to live with I think as parents of autistic children we have to live with the stimming and we have to be aware that it's actually bigger than your normal habits, let's call them. And sometimes when you see children really kicking off, autistic children that are really just losing their shite, just, just they can't deal with life and they can't cope with anything. I think maybe sometimes look at it and say, is that stimming rather than behavioural? Is that something they really need to get out of their system because they've been put into an awkward situation whether it's taken into a busy shopping center which is going to annoy anybody let alone a child with heightened sense of whether it's the smells people wearing perfumes or having their own odors in the room whether it's too many lights bright lights each window in each shop inside a shopping center has got different range of lights and brightness and colors because they're trying to attract people into them whether it's the sounds, the sound of the music in it, and there's possibly different music in each of the shops, and they can hear all this because sometimes their senses are so heightened. They have a meltdown, and people say, oh, it's an autistic child having a meltdown. It's an autistic child trying to regulate themselves so they can cope with the situation that you've put them in. And we don't put our kids into those situations. We don't see the point. It's just, you know, for whose benefit? It's of nobody's benefit. So I think... That would be the only thing I would say about stimming if I could advise anybody is A, try and understand it and try and preempt it. Try and control it slightly, but don't eliminate it and try and avoid it. And sometimes look at their behavior and actually say, is this stimming? Maybe this isn't a meltdown. Maybe this isn't showing off. Maybe this isn't fine for attention. Maybe this is just the only way the child can cope with the situation that they've been put in because they didn't choose to go into that situation themselves i don't know i hope that helps somebody i hope that maybe that will ring through to somebody out there and that maybe that will help somebody understand stimming i never thought i'd have a full conversation for you know 30 minutes on stimming and what it was considering genuinely hadn't got a clue 
of anything didn't know what it was uh, didn't know what it meant and it has taken me years to figure out what it is and um, so I'm hoping whether it's a child run up and down the same hall up and down continuously 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 trying to get out of the system or one car over and back and over and back I mean it can be as subtle as that they're doing it for a reason they're doing it to regulate some feeling for mine as well just on a, on a last note there was the thing about touch um, they don't like gentle touch so you can't go by and brush past them um, you can't sort of whisper you can't tickle they love deep touch so they hate a shower they'll jump in a swimming pool you can give them what, what was called 14 years ago it was coined as a squeezy hug we could give them a squeezy hug you couldn't just gently touch him and I think the the worst example for me was he was four or five he was in school and it was a mixed school luckily all the mammies were so nice and they were fully aware of his recent diagnosis and how I was trying to deal with it and I had two other little kids they were so lovely but they were standing in the line uh, on their way back into class and they were in a little line and a wee girl in front of him and I know her mum so well and I know her uh, same age and she turned round and just sort of blew a little bit of air in his face and he just hit her I nearly died I mean when I found out the ground just fell out under me and I was like oh my god how could he have done this and it was awful um, and when I went to the school to pick him up and the teacher came and told me and told the other mum the other mum came over to me and it was the sweetest thing she said she got her daughter to apologise she said I told her I told her that he needed a little bit of distance and he needed to, he was a little bit different and that she just needed to be careful because they were good friends um, and that she shouldn't have done it and I thought well how nice is that because all she had to do was say how dare he do that to her and I totally would have went you're absolutely right how dare he and I was mortified as it was but she made it so much easier for me to deal with that I could then go away and talk to Keen, even at a young age and say how we react to situations and how we avoid situations and how to deal with them and it was one of the sweetest things and that's 14 years ago and I don't think I'll ever forget it um, it made a difference how other people react to your child makes a huge difference and how you react to other people's children will make a huge difference to them so hopefully that has been of some help to somebody um, and it just gives an insight into the stimmy which I think nearly every autistic child does but they're so varied that it's very hard to pigeonhole them and say exactly what type of stimming they do but you know in my opinion let them do it let them get it out and hopefully they'll either grow out of it they'll control it or they'll do it on their own just to just to get it out of their system really quickly and move on with their life and they'll be fine so thanks for listening and um, I will be putting up another podcast soon and hopefully that's of some benefit and again if anybody's any questions or anything you want to talk about or me to talk about let me know and I will get back to you thank you